Hello there, my little Tootsie Pootsie Rolls. It's Chappie, your British butler. Keep calm and cauliflower cheese is the name of this rather ramshackle affair. This podcast knitted together with nonsense and presented to you as a carb-laden treat. So you've got the key elements. Cauliflower, you know, so a little stinky. Very cheesy. There's some goodness in there, but it's tremendously carb-laden as well. And that's what we like to do. We like to stock you up with carbs the week, so you've just got enough sustenance to keep you going for the entire week in our two episodes per week. We had a little special on Monday, a Blue Monday special. Hopefully that got you through the week. And here we are again with Friday. Thank bloody goodness. And... I tell you something, it is bitterly cold these last few days. We've had like a bad weather, uh, semblance of bad weather anyway, over the last week uh, here in Colorado. We hadn't had snow for like 240 days. And then all of a sudden we've been hit pretty hard. Uh, We had uh, five inches on New Year's Eve, probably another four inches last night. Ooh, Motrin. And uh, I'm really sort of enjoying it but that first walk in the morning i mean i was talking the other day about finding your happy place dog walking that brisk walk in the morning really just get you set up for the day but you know you have to get out of chappy towers to begin with that's the key i mean you don't feel like it especially trying to squeeze on these rubber boots these rubber wellingtons with the uh with the yak tracks attached to the bottom it is quite the effort and then getting them off that's a whole nother problem i talked about that the other day i did some google searching and i was looking for uh ways of removing rubber boots you know my my father did have the old wellington boot uh remover thing where you pop your foot in the other uh, foot provides some sort of leverage and steadiness and then then off off pops the uh, wellington so i am thinking about that i can also go and find some stairs somewhere and then ease them off that way but i tell you you need uh you probably need like jeff capes and several individuals who won the world's strongest male competition or indeed female competition to uh, prize off these uh these rubber monstrosities that are attached to my feet now nothing keeps the foot drier than a wellington boot i have to say but i think i've actually strained my arm and i was thinking the other day I think I've got tennis elbow. And then I was thinking, well, is it a situation that when men hit their 40s, they get tennis elbow? Because I swear my father had tennis elbow in his 40s. I mean, I haven't been like chopping up huge hunks of meat or playing badminton or anything like that like he used to. But I have a very, very stiff elbow. And I don't know, it's onset of arthritis. I mean, I'm trying, obviously... My uh, my eternal favourite, the uh, the turmeric. That's not quite hitting the pain spots yet, but it's frozen. And then it made me also think about tennis elbow. Surely people got tennis elbow more when they were doing those little flicks, those little those little volleys. Nobody seems to volley that much anymore as well. Was tennis elbow more prevalent during the? Eras, 60s, 70s and 80s, where you had that sort of serve volley type of tennis. I don't know. I'm really probably confusing you, the listener. Those of you who do not like uh, tennis, 
Well, there's no volleying these days. Well, there certainly will be no volleying for Novak Djokovic. Um, he'll probably take some weeks off, probably, which is a which is a fair idea, I think. But uh, I'm just thinking, like people over time, I think about tennis elbow and that sort of stiffness uh, over the elbow, and it's in the right hand as well. It also makes how I sort of overused my right hand over the years. Obviously, being a wonderful scribe. Uh, I mean, that could be a problem as well. But was is it me or did Napoleon used to tuck his right arm into uh, into his sort of uh, the, his blouson, his bustier, his tunic? He used to have his arm tucked in there, didn't he? So I wonder if he had the stiffness of the shoulder or elbow. Maybe. Napoleon suffered from tennis elbow. I mean, you could probably get some vestiges of warmth if your hand was tucked into like a tunic or something like that. Or maybe he had a gammy arm. I don't know why Napoleon had his, I think it was his right arm. It could have been his left though, tucked into his tunic. I do think that, you know, he was probably a very fine swordsman. He was very good with a rapier and a duel. And he probably twisted his elbow and he had like some sort of form of uh, uh, swordsman tennis elbow or something along those lines. But it sort of makes you wish, I just wish it was in my left arm. Because I, I think I use my right arm for literally everything. I'm, it's, it's like the, it's like the uh, left side of my brain. I do not use the left side of my brain. I do not use my left arm. But when, the, uh, when I have a gimpy little right arm and a right elbow, I mean, there's going to be all hell to pay, I think. I tell you something, I'm really leaping into 2022 here. I started also uh, tracking my sleep patterns. So, I don't know. I mean, these things, who knows, they could be gimmicky. Uh, they could be just uh, uh, prying and taking away your money. But I, I downloaded this sleep app that basically tracks my sleep patterns and I don't know how the thing works I mean amazingly how does it know that I fell asleep at 12:20 last night and then I woke up at 6:35. I mean I think that's pretty bloody accurate because so I was having terrible trouble I had the I, I don't know and this again could be old man syndrome and maybe my uh maybe my frozen uh elbow is related to me sleeping with my entire big old noggin uh, resting on a pillow with my uh, hand under the pillow because I do need the uh, hand under the pillow it, it's a sort of comforting thing it's like a comfort blanket type of situation but I don't know how it tracks that because I think that's pretty accurate and it gives me some sort of rating like overall in the last week I've been doing it about a week I get a rating of 801 that's a sleep watch score now how do they track these things they're up 12 points apparently but yesterday's sleep down 83 points it's like the stock market for god's sake six hours 15 of total sleep time that's 78 percent of the sleep goal yeah i'm 71 percent. that's under target last night i got four hours 35 minutes of restful sleep and the rest was light sleep and then there's apparently a 31 percent sleep dip now what does the sleep dip talk about I mean, is that like uh, some sort of midnight feast where I go and dip my paw in the honey pot or something? Is that the sort of dipping? Is it sort of more carnally related, a dipping? I mean, who knows? 65% regular sleep rhythm. 
I mean, that's quite good. Um, it's, 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 not too, it's not too bad. I don't think it's as good. My sleep rhythm hasn't been as good last night as before. And then a, then a very low BPM, 51 BPM, 31% dip. Uh, sleep disruption, disruption minimal, I think that's completely inaccurate because, you know, I have the age-old problem of once you get over 40, or maybe even 35, that you have to go to the bathroom too many times in the, in the, uh, in the, uh, in the whole evening period. And it says I'm somewhat rested. Well, I have to answer that. And then the moment I do feel somewhat rested. But there we go. It's fascinating. I mean, I thought I would have absolutely abysmal sleep patterns. But it seems like I average like seven and a half hours a night. Which isn't too bad. They do want you to do eight. They do want you to get in bed by 11 o'clock. Which I'm trying to do more regularly. Uh, last night it was sort of a bit of a cricket issue, really. Two injured, wounded batsmen struggling out and playing manfully. Three lines on their chest for England, and that kept me up till 12.20. Oh, hey-ho. So some of the things that we may or may not be talking about today. Uh, lazy weekend breakfast, devilish crumpets. Uh, we're going to be uh, looking at how I like to walk uh, when it's icy. And I feel that I have a very deficient walk when it's icy. That's why I need the yak tracks, crampons, whatever you want to call them. Uh, and I feel I walk in a certain way that does not help when it comes to uh, having traction on the ice. Uh, big potatoes. Yes. Never go small. Go big. Uh, also, potatoes and tips for flirting. Uh, this was sent to me. Uh, I saw something that I thought was very interesting. I don't think they're Gen Zs. They're the, they're the generation after Gen Zs, probably. Uh, probably, um, I would say elementary school children around the age of seven or eight, maybe. And I saw a young man and a young lady, and it was sort of heartwarming. We're going to be talking about that later. I lost my British male Surrey voice. Uh, we're going to be revisiting apple cider vinegar as we, uh, look at wellness new year. <laughs> yes, I'm going to go to the gym and see if the door will open for me again. I thought it was going to open before Christmas. But alas, the key card did not work here at Chappie Towers to get into the gym. We will be trying again, constantly, manfully, persistently over the course of the next year. Uh, also, if you are an Apple guy and you're in a relationship with a Samsung girl or whatever your preference is per technology and gender, uh, evolution of carrot growth, um, also Gen Z wisdom, uh, millennial wisdom probably as well. Uh, a new nickname that my uh, dear nephews are calling my dearest mother. We're having a Christmas cake report. Yes, people are still eating Christmas cakes out there. I got a note from a chiropractor as well, rather randomly. We're going to have a trump or trombone. Uh, we may have another rate my plate, which is my new favorite uh, Twitter handle out there where people take pictures of their food and other people basically rip it apart i mean they don't even take a knife and fork it's not de delicately cut apart it is ripped it is mauled apart on twitter as you would expect but there are some absolute monstrosities that people are, are posting anyway trying to get warm again i can't seem to get between 
uh, incredibly cold and freezing feet, and then a sweaty top upper lip. It is certainly part of my job to bring you, the Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese listener, the best cheeses that I come across. Now, I shared with you before Christmas a Robusto. It was an aged Gruyere that I got from Whole Foods. Now, I also highly recommend, and I think I mentioned this before, everybody loves my love of the Cabot. The Cabot aged vintage wax sealed cheddar. And I talked, I think, about in my early podcast how I wanted to be sealed and mummified inside a Cabot cheddar under the wax. I know it's a little bit morbid, but also maybe bacon wrapped as well. So if any of the wax does perish, I can nibble on a piece of bacon or something along those lines. But I want to bring to you the English coastal cheddar. It's an old favorite of mine. I've uh, been eating it for many a year. So that crystalline, mature goodness, you can taste the sea. It's that sort of sea saltiness to it. And that deep level of maturity that you love in a cheddar. I had a lovely omelette this morning with some uh, pastrami pieces of smoked salmon. Or pastrami style pieces of smoked salmon. And it was a delicious breakfast. Really starts off the Friday in a, in a very, very good fashion. So I recommend those. I'm also counting down the time when a Trader Joe's is going to come near to me. I have to sort of hop in the horse and cart and travel across several continents to get to the Trader Joe's at the moment. Uh, soon, though, there'll be one very, very local to me. Absolute joy to shop in, especially go Thursday in the morning. Nothing better than a very strong cup of tea and then a lovely visit over to Trader Joe's. It is the time of year again where I'm testing the traction on the ice. I am the world's worst ice skater. I tried it a couple of times, it scared the bejesus out of me. It's part of my theory that any winter sport, skiing, snowboarding, ice skating, is better if you're short. It's better if you have a lower center of gravity. Now I know there's tall skiers out there, I've seen them, but more or less, you get the shorter fellas, don't you? The shorter lasses who are better at these winter sports. I would love to be a good ski. I would love to ski. I'd love to be able to ski. But I feel like it is the bigger you are, the harder you indeed fall. So this time of year, I do slip on the crampons. Yes, it's <laughs> crampons is not some sort of sanitary product. It's something you strap onto your foot and... It has little spikes or uh, pieces of plastic or studs, as you call them, um, that basically keep you upright, stops you from slipping over, allows you some traction on the ice. And they work wonderfully. Crampons, Yak Tracks, any of those brands are really fantabulous and gives you a bit more confidence on the ice. Whereas I think the trouble is, if you don't have confidence on the ice and you think you're going to slip, you're going to slip. The crampons do give you that added added confidence in your own ability. And also walking like a penguin that's constipated, wide legs apart, and then from side to side, that stops you from slipping as well. But I don't think when they invented and put together these crampons or they're doing marketing for yak tracks, they're not thinking about the rather sort of rotund, uh, big lad, uh, rugby player eats too many English breakfasts type of look. 
they're looking for the sort of more svelte mountaineer type endorsing yak tracks while scaling up Mat- the Matterhorn or uh, or maybe one of the one of the peaks in the Himalayas or something along those lines. They're not thinking about somebody who basically slips over sometimes when they get out of the shower. Yeah, they're not thinking about that. They're, they're, their marketing is more the sort of winter athlete, the winter Olympian who goes from one winter sport to the next with grace and humility. Not me, who I'm basically, as I said, walking along like a constipated penguin, trying to get some traction in the snow. But you know what? I do not care. And they're probably not thinking about them being strapped to Wellington boots. Now, how British could be? I just need a flask of tea and uh, maybe a couple of cucumber sandwiches for, for my walk. And then I could be ultimately British. I've got Wellington boots with yak tracks on them. Now, these are insulated Wellington boots, and I highly recommend them. Because I'm thinking about the hiking boot has never worked for me. Always lets water in for some reason. Haven't been able to find one that doesn't. Whereas the Wellington boot now has a little bit of insulation. And now I've got these most fantabulous socks that I've got for Christmas. I never underestimate a good sock. Yeah, please don't. Because it does help with those clo- those sort of uh, cold, cold tootsies. Anyway... I'm basically known, and I, I can't. I think I walk more on my tippy toes when I walk. I mean, maybe I could be if I if I wasn't such a hefty fellow. I could probably be a very good ballerina, but I think I could get right out under my tippy toes without breaking. I mean, at the moment, I'd break them and probably be confined to a wheelchair for the rest of my life. Uh, but yeah, you know, that's that's the tonnage behind it. You know, you don't see you don't see bigger sort of. Uh, uh, Moby Dick style type of uh, ballerinas. You don't see them generally. You know, maybe a hippopotamus ballerina. That that might be a possibility. Um, but I think that that's a problem. I think I walk on my tippy toes. And, uh, you know, with tippy toes, when you're in the ice, comes slippy toes. So from The Guardian, which films kept you entertained over the holidays? Was it Silent Night, the sweary festive Britcom starring Kira Knightley, the courtroom dra- drama Naked Singularity with John Boniega as a crusading lawyer, or did you watch Leonardo DiCaprio as a dorky astronomer in Don't Look Up, a slapstick political satire? Whichever it was, I hope you poured yourself a large one because none of these films are quite as light as they seem, all take place in the shadow of an imminent Armageddon. That's right, the world is nigh, and it's no longer the preserve of a mega-budget disaster movie or bleak survivalist thrillers. These days, the looming obliteration of our species can just be as readily from the backdrop of some government mockery or boozy country house drama. Why the sudden change after all the existential catastrophe it's hardly a new subject for hollywood which has been churning out such tales for the best part of a century historically though they largely come from the form of razzle dazzle showstoppers be it during the original disaster movie boom with titles when worlds collide cgi fueled day after tomorrow the more muted time films have generally been left to less popcorn hungry countries like russia's the sacrifice france time of the wolf delicatessen and canada's last night but the mainstream movie industry has nonetheless been sure that it's even the most casual film goer 
will be well used to witnessing humanity's spectacular destruction. We've seen it carried out by deranged scientists and comic book villains, by robot uprising and cosmic collision, by viral outbreak and biblical flood, by dragons, birds and talking monkeys. And unsurprisingly, a genre predicted on the ultimate worst case scenario has tended to reflect the anxieties of the time invasion of the body snatchers offered an allegory for McCarthyism. Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds with nightmarish urban devastation was the first truly post 9-11 blockbuster. Wall Street uh, sounded the alarm about mass consumerism. The genre itself mushroomed during the Cold War. Mutually assured destruction became a household name. Now it's exploding again with apocalyptic films. In the last year alone, the destruction of our planet has been even realized or threatened by sci-fi extravaganza, family tearjerkers and chirpy animated romps. This year will bring more of the same. Slate of a TV are two cheerless visions of post-viral dystopia, The Last of Us and Station Eleven, as well as the Ron Seal titled Extinction at the cinema we get the big screen pageantry of moonfall from disaster and Pisario, roland emmerich and noel bumbach adaption of the don delilio echo fiasco novel white noise but treat yourself to the best film of the festive season the humans an understated chamber piece in which a dysfunctional family gather thanksgiving under the distinct atmosphere of you've guessed it creeping existential dread the real drama, though, lies in the bickering of rival siblings, senile grandparents, and sozzled patriarchs. It's now more evidence that the end of times anxiety can now be treated as a mundane off-screen secondary to the domestic fallout, call it kitchen sink nihilism. So it's a long way from the cigar-chomping triumphalism of Armageddon and Independence Day, both certified artifacts of the Clinton-era America, but maybe this trend for quietly apocalyptic adjacent storytelling is uh, expected to, in an era where the real world headlines tell us survival bunkers, fire tornadoes, doomsday glaciers. Dr. Strangelove's breakneck bomb ride was a response to a world where nuclear decimation could arrive at any moment. Adam McKay's climate change satire, Don't Look Up, it takes its lead from Kubrick's movie, invoking the apocalyptic as an act of ridicule towards the complacent political class. The six decades on, the tone has shifted from the Antarctic glee to resignation exasperation. Maybe the destruction of the entire planet isn't supposed to be fun, says Jennifer Lawrence, a scientist. Well, I think the thing is, we've become, in these last 18 months, where we've been locked down, we've been uh, working from home, we've been not being able to travel, not being able to do our normal things. I think a good old meteorite hitting the earth and destroying everything whilst everybody's around a dinner table in some ways is a little bit more reassuring than being on one's own. The loneliness of this pandemic for a lot of people. And, you know, a rip-roaring yarn of a dystopian world and a Trumpian leader. And Mel Streep is absolutely brilliant and don't look up, I have to say. I think the asteroid is a bit more reassuring than pandemic, endemic, and whatever next is coming. The dreaded Florona. One of my favorite Twitter handles and sites at the moment is Rate My Plate on Twitter. So basically people take pictures of the food they've made 
and get absolutely ripped apart, castigated by the Twitter audience. And Stevie V posted a picture of his sausage casserole. You've got on the plate, and I mean, this is part of the joy of it. This is probably more of a visual thing, but this is the joy of the podcasting. Let me describe it to you. Mashed potato smothered in brown gravy. Then you've got three sausages. I think it's the red wine gravy coated with the gravy, some wilty old broccolini, and then two erect pieces of buttered bread. And this is what we have. We have happy trees is one of the responses here. Why have you got two slabs of Victoria sponge that are erect? What's the tentastrum again? Any pirates with it will now score an automatic zero from me. Oh, that's proper winter grub. Did the bread get lost and join the wrong meal? Mash and bread. Ditch the broccoli for any other veg and lose the pre-buttered bread. And then it's a decent plate. Get rid of the green stuff and it's a solid 9 out of 10. 9 out of 10. If it wasn't for the big tree, it would be 10 out of 10. If you have a brain injury, the bread could uh, probably crush your brain. Filthy. Needs bread and more butter on the bread. That's literally one of my ideas from hell. Mash yuck and wet sausage yuck. Uh, could have done without the bunch of flowers and the cake. Moldy Madeira cake, anybody? Something's weird going on with that bread and butter. With the soggy mash, it looks decent. Looks like a nice gravy as well. I mean, the gravy really does resurrect things. I think in 2022, if you learn anything from this podcast at all, is everybody knows my obsession with gravy, but make better gravy in 2022. So whilst I was scouring through Twitter after Ate My Plate, I saw Michaela Stracking. So she's been a children's TV host. Uh, she does the Spring Watch, Autumn Watch, Winter Watch, uh, Summer Watch on TV. Um, but she has some interesting things. I think she's based a lot of the time in South Africa now. And she saw this on a beach in Plittenberg. And I mean, what does it even mean? It must have some type of... Uh, voodoo meaning it was a dead shark on the beach and on top of the half-eaten shark was a dead snake now if that's not a harbinger of doom i do not know what is a north korean government mouthpiece has claimed kim jong-un has and did create burritos in 2011 the Rodong newspaper said the father of current leader Kim Jong-un invented the wheat wrap and claimed their sales were booming despite the food shortage. The street food also made an appearance in a recent propaganda broadcast saying Kim Jong-un has a meticulous interest in burritos. The newsreel footage North Koreans can be seen devouring burritos at the stand alongside the Kim Song food factory in Pyongyang. The broadcast also showed a mural of Kim Jong-il grinning in a kitchen where burritos were being prepared. But North Koreans who escaped the uh, state insist that such dishes are virtually non-existent there. The food shortage left people at risk of starvation, according to the UN human rights expert, with Kim warning it could last until 2025. Hun Sung Lee who was born into the elite North Korean family but fled the country in 2014, said that countrymen didn't even dream of eating a burrito. This isn't because 
It's not even given as an opportunity to encounter it. The majority of citizens do not have the money to buy foreign food. In the 1990s, bread and butter lovers were satirized and criticized as socialist traitors. I've never seen any burritos or wraps on sale in North Korea. Perhaps there's no restaurants where you can even eat burritos and wraps until now. The penetration rate of Western food in North Korea is extremely low because there are very few restaurants where you can eat it and the food ingredients are not very diverse. Various cooking ingredients such as milk, cheese and spices are absolutely lacking. The North Korean version, uh, different to it, different to the Western version, used donna meat with cabbage and carrot. So I guess, I mean, the cabbage is, is your tortilla wrap, I suppose. Kim Jong-il revised that wheat wraps are best accompanied by mineral water in the summer and hot tea in the winter, the Rodong Suman added. The Rowan Beard, a guide with young pioneer tours, which specializes in organizing North Korean trips, said he had not encountered uh, burritos in Pyongyang. He said that most Western food uh, was fairly common, but agreed it, was, uh, it wasn't common elsewhere. Spaghetti, French fries, or hamburgers can be found on certain menus, uh, however, not much of it can be seen outside of Pyongyang. I think Dennis Rodman smuggled in a burrito when he met with Kim Jong-un. And that's how the burrito obsession started in North Korea. I think breakfast may be my favorite meal of the day. I absolutely love breakfast. So in the London Times saw a lovely little article, Lazy Weekend Breakfast Recipes from Poached Eggs to Pancakes. So... One of my favorites I saw on there, and there's a few. Perfect poached eggs and deviled crumpets. There are many recipes with poached eggs requiring a complicated technique or a bit of kit. Recipes will give you perfect eggs every time. Curried crumpets are ideal with the egg if you don't want them too spicy. This was by Amy Shepard in the London Times here. So she's talking about preparing the crumpets, melt the butter in a non-stick frying pan over medium heat. When bubbling, reduce the heat. Add the crumpets to the pan, turning them over, pressing them down till they're coated in butter. Increase the heat to a medium fry for five minutes. While the crumpets are cooking, half fill a large saucepan with water. Add a little white wine vinegar. Break an egg into the ladle or a large serving spoon. Turn off the heat for the water and leave for a few seconds to become still. Lower the egg into the water and quickly tip it up from the ladle or spoon in one swift movement. I don't think I could like lower the ladle at the moment with my frozen elbow. I mean, it could be a real problem trying to trying to uh, <laughs> try to lower the egg with a ladle with tennis elbow. Could be a problem. Heat still on. Leave the egg for three and a half minutes. Set a timer. Add another egg in the same way one minute after. So the ladle is the key. Carefully remove the first egg with a pan with slotted spoon, holding it over the pan for a few seconds to drain excess water. Use scissors to trim any loose bits of egg white. So basically the egg's going in for the barbers to make it a nice, neat poached egg. That sounds absolutely delicious. But what caught my eye is, I mean, perfect poached egg. And, oh, you're really a devil. You're really a crumpet. Oh, you're a devilish crumpet, aren't you? Would you like to be? I would love to be called a devilish crumpet. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Anyway, so there we go. So also on the list... A little bit of a more of a uh, Turkish special, smoky bean uh, shaksuka. That looks very nice, very tomatoey. And then a delicious cheats kedgeri. I do love a kedgeri. Basically, eggs, onion, some mackerel, mild curry powder, pouches of cooked long grain rice, and um, 
and basically a little bit of milk as well. So this this method here, bring saucepan to a vigorous boil, lower eggs into a pan with a slotted spoon, simmer for eight minutes. I think everybody needs a ladle or a slotted spoon this year. While the eggs are cooking, prepare the rice, place the onion, drizzle oil, mackerel tin in a large non-stick frying pan, fry the onions for five minutes, add the curry powder, fry for one minute, add the mackerel, pouches of rice and milk, reduce the heat to low, fry for five minutes a wooden spoon. When the eggs are ready, place them in a bowl of cold water. When the rice is fully heated through, season with the salt and pepper, divide the kedgeri between two plates, shell the eggs, and cut each of the quarters. This makes me want an Indian breakfast buffet right now. But also on the list here, they had halloumi uh, red pesto toasty, looks quite good. Uh, banana and peanut butter pancakes for those with a sweet tooth. Ham and cheese croissant pudding, and I said croissant, not croissant. Uh, egg and bacon breakfast wrap as well. American English pronunciation video, we're going to go over the pronunciation of the word croissant. This week's word of the week is croissant. It was suggested by a user on YouTube, Rebecca. Thanks so much for this suggestion. It allows me to indulge. I absolutely love croissants. One of my favorite pastries. No, 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 Rachel, it's croissant, croissant. So very British problems official. Absolute joy to look at. So here's some of my favorites of the week. We've had a few teething problems. Translation, it's been a bloody nightmare. You look tired. Yes, I was up at 3 a.m. again thinking about a task I've had on my to-do list for months. I just completed it. It took four minutes. And here's the rest of the year in one paragraph. Pancake day, chocolate eggs. Wow, the sun's out, it's summer, raining now. Ah, three days of too hot. Nearly Christmas, scary night, fireworks night, Christmas proper, New Year, two days of fitness, snow warnings, back to where we are. So if you're thinking about potatoes and some of you have given up carbs you dastardly smart people but yeah if you're thinking about potatoes make sure you go big i went small for a long time and i have to say that it was a little bit of a depressing time small potatoes a very poor potato peeler now i've uh, upgraded to a ten dollar potato peeler can you believe it ten dollars for a potato peeler this thing better last until the end of my life I'm going to have to, that's going to have to be passed down for generations, that potato peeler. Anyway, but I did small, where you lose half the potato as you peel it, especially with a poor peeler. Don't be a poor peeler this year. And all of the sudden, the other day, I rediscovered the large potato. Costco, Sam's Club, Cash and Carry, all of these places you can get large, big bags of potatoes. And I've enjoyed a large potato for several days now. And the joy and aspirations are now returning of the larger potato. And I did read about this. This was actually sent to me. It was actually a tip for flirting. If you have a bigger potato, you can actually carve your telephone number into the potato and roll it to an eligible suitor you wish to court with. Very little old-fashioned technique the seduction of spuds 
a French bulldog has melded hearts on TikTok after her owner shared the pup's attachment to her unique choice of favourite toy, a plastic drinking cup. Owner Ella Halton explains that the adorable Frenchie has had the cup since she was a puppy and now she takes it everywhere she goes. In fact, it's clear to see uh, in the clip that the dog has been clinging to her beloved cup for a variety of spots around the house for many years. Even more bizarrely, Ella goes on to say that her two-year-old pup is so attached to the cup that she even sleeps with it. Every night, showing heartwarming clips of the Frenchie fast asleep on her back with a cup in her mouth. Well, we do have support dogs, and this little dog has its support cups, but many are known to carry around a support hip flask. Experts believe that the beast of Exmoor has been found as a big cat spotted prowling in the British countryside. Sam Aston, 30, was walking his dog when he saw the huge animal, which he said was black, had a long tail and looked like a phantom cat spotted in the area since the 1970s. Quick thinking, Sam whipped out his phone and managed to capture a snapshot of the huge beast before it finished and vanished from a field in Brayford in Devon. Sam said he was certain the animal wasn't a dog, a cow, or any domestic animal, so he's certain that he has spotted the infamous beast of Exmoor. Describing the incident, it was about 11.45 a.m. I looked into a big, open, empty field to my left, and 200 or 300 yards away, a black animal was running. I couldn't make it out, so I grabbed my phone and took a pic for identification purposes, I'm a bit of a wildlife photographer. Was it a dog, a deer, or a cow? I started to check off these animals. It ran like a cat. There's no cat that size in this country. It was the size of a Labrador. It had a big, long tail. Watched it running for about 10 seconds. It was like a big cat, which in the UK is very, very unlikely. I think it was the Beast of Exmoor, or the Devon Devil. Oh, rubbish, it's probably just a bearded Neanderthal hipster. Uh, yes, news coming in. We have a, a Christmas cake report. Yes, a Christmas cake report. Uh, real structural issues, too many cherries, very, very crumbly, uh, three quarters of the cake left. It would have been David Bowie's 75th birthday uh, this coming Saturday. So let me indulge you on the musical playlist Butler Emporium edition of the podcast on Spotify, where we basically give you three David Bowie tracks in memory of the great man, the artist, the whizzical, quizzical gnome, the white duke, however you want to remember him by. And finally, on Trumpo Trombone, I've spent £12,000 turning my face into a puzzle. I don't want to look human. Black Depression, 28 from Germany, says he wants to look as inhuman as possible and has spent more than £12,000 modifying his body. The man wants to look inhuman, turning himself into a puzzle. The body modification enthusiast, who goes by the name Black Depression, has tattoos of puzzle pieces all over his uh, face. The human puzzle from the Ore Mountains in Germany spent £12,500. He has facial tattoos, which features coloured and outlined puzzle pieces. Okay, to solve the puzzle, just uh, look for the blue sky pieces around the edges. (laughs) 
Thank you very much for listening to the second edition of the podcast this year in 2022. It's been lovely, lovely having you here. Like and subscribe where you can. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram uh, at keep, uh, keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese on Instagram, at Keep Cheese on Twitter. Uh, and also, uh, if you like the audio version, yeah, the audio version, you can listen on uh, Apple Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Slacker, Breaker, Audible, iHeartRadio, Pandora, and many, many other areas. If you like music, if you like music with your nonsense, then you can listen on Spotify Podcasts. There is a Butler Emporium musical edition of the podcast where you have Armed and Extremely Dangerous, you have Orlando Weeks, you have Jamiroquai, Holly Johnson, Frankie Goes to Hollywood, uh, you have some Pilot, you have some Rolling Stones, David Bowie, uh, Big Audio Dynamite, some uh, Rufus Rainwhite, uh, and also some Ian Jury and the Blockheads, if you like your music. Basically, you can listen to the podcast anywhere. As I was just crumbling up this pastrami smoked salmon this morning on top of my lovely omelette, I could hear Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese sizzling in the background. It's so hot, it's sizzling, it's spicy, it's ready to go in 2022. And thank you so much for your support, especially this last month where we had a huge listenership in December. Coming up next, a January poem. This is from Patrick Kavanaugh. We have tested and tasted too much, lover. For a chink too wide there comes no wonder, but here in the advent darkened room where the dry bread and the sugarless tea of penance will charm back the luxury of a child's soul will return to doom the knowledge we stole but could not use. And the newness of everything stale, we looked at it as children, the spirit shocking, wondering a black, slanting Ulster hill, or the pathetic astonishment in the tedious taking of an old fool will awake us and bring you and me to the yard gate to watch and winds, the bog holes, cart tracks, old stables where time begins. Oh, after Christmas we need no go searching for the difference that sets an old phrase burning. We hear in the whispered argument of churning, or in the streets where the village boys are lurching, we hear among decent men too, who barrow dung in gardens and trees, wherever life pours ordinary plenty, where we will be rich, my love, and I and God, we shall ask for no reason's payment. The why of heartbreaking strangeness and dreeping hedges, nor analyzes God's breath in common statement. We have thrown into the dustbin the clay-minted wages of pleasure, knowledge, and the conscious hour comes with a January flower. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. It's uh, it's a tough start in the new year. We have to take little fragments of joy and things to look forward to as a year uh, starts and progresses. And before no, it'll probably be the summertime. Um, but uh, thank you very much for listening. Really appreciate the, uh, the support. And hopefully we give you a little bit of glimmer, joy and gentle amusement uh, week on week. Uh, we will have another podcast before the end of the weekend, but until then, cheerio.